0: This is our Tuesday morning Kilt in the Cloth Bible study as we continue in the resurrection stories. And we are picking up in Mark chapter 13, verse 9. Um, we have, I have a few people that uh, I want to talk a little bit about in this dialogue. You have um, the main characters. So the main characters of this story, you have Sadducees, Pharisees, Scribes, Chief Priests, and then the audience. The audience is just heard verses one through eight, and he is talking to them about things being destroyed. The buildings are falling. Um, you know, last week we got to talk about it just a little bit, but I remember uh Dr. Tosik specifically saying, you know, like the Little Red Riding Hood story where there's this conversation where, oh, look at what big teeth you have, (laughs) you know, grandma. There's And look at how big these stones are. And Jesus says, well, (laughs) there's not going to be anything left by the time this is done. Um, And then the wars and the earthquakes, and it's just going to happen. And why? Well, because, and this is where the main characters come in, because the councils, the leadership involved, will we'll be the death of it it'll be the it'll be the ruin of what we know everything that we've ever known And so there's a there's another thing that happens in uh, verse 9 and on, on that we start to have um what I would call apocalyptic prophetic message. So I'm going to spend a, just a little bit of time on this concept. In the first century, and 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 this is on both ends of zero, okay. On on the first century, on both sides of the zero, uh, there was a style of writing that was prophetic in the sense of the doom and gloom of the society that we live in or the age that we live in will end at some point. And it wasn't necessarily bad, it was just a style of writing. Um the issue that we have with it is is that over time that you lose context right if you're not in the first century you don't you don't read revelation of john and go wow this sounds like a happy book <laughs> <laughs> right um, and so over time uh, big c christianity turned these messages or these books into or these writings into prophetic like, this is what's going to happen. The end of the world is going to happen. The, but Jesus is literally talking about his death and resurrection. Okay, so I'm trying to make sure I make sense of that. The Gospel of Mark writer is paying homage to the ap- apocalyptic writers of the time. We know for a fact that there were writers in between Jesus' death and the time that the Gospel of Mark was written. So, for example, Revelation of John, we tend to put together right before or right after the destruction of the temple. And some scholars put it even as early as the time of Paul's writings. Um, But remember, we only have 24 books um, in the New Testament. And out of those 24 books, uh, there were 67 written in the first century. Just, Just put that in your mind for a second. And out of those... Sixty-seven. There were probably 24 apocalyptic books that were written, and they didn't make it into the canon um, because it gets confusing. If you're if you're trying to teach a, a group of people how we understand God, Jesus and Holy Spirit, you're not going to give them everything. You know, you, you don't uh, you, you want to give them tastes. And at the time that all this is taking place, all the way up until the 20th and the 21st century, people couldn't read. So I don't look at it as a bad thing, but it's important that we have that conversation that apocalyptic or prophetic language was not necessarily to say in 2024, the end of the world is going to look like this. And this is how we know, because it says so in the Revelation of John Or the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, or the Gospel of Matthew, you know, uh, or Daniel, or any of those books. For them, it was writing from experience. I look at it more like uh, Eli Weissel writing about night, or I look at it in the sense of Diary of Anne Frank. I'm writing this in the midst of all of these God-awful things, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer writing The Cost of Discipleship. These these things are taking place all the way around them, and there's nowhere else to escape but through their words. So when we read this next part, it's important for those of you that are listening and the, for us in here, that it's not designed for us to think this is to come, because it's been preached that way, it's been taught that way, and it's not, it's not giving the text the diligence that it's due, um, because if you if you read this next part in the sense of we are being underneath the thumb of the San well the, at that time the corrupt Sanhedrin that was uh, manipulated by the Roman government no matter what we want to say uh, and the Roman government putting their thumb on every aspect of their life. Um, you can hear this language in the sense of those that are in leadership are the ones that are going to fall, and and, and that age will end. Um, unfortunately, it ended where everything was destroyed. And, and then we picked up our pieces, and it took us almost three century, three centuries to a point where Rome finally had to acknowledge – that Jesus was a real person. And, and if, and he doesn't, and and Constantine doesn't even do that. He just says these Christians, I think if he, I think I remember something like these Christian nat people that kind of just show up like gnats. They just show up (laughs) everywhere. Uh, they're, they're, uh, we, we, we need to appease them. And his mom, Helen was, uh, was a strong believer, which was always, I've always found that fascinating. Um, so this—that's the language that I want you to think about. And so, when we talk about it in the twenty-first century, the context is weird in the way that it has been preached or taught for us for uh, these two—the pa- past two centuries and the centuries pr- prior. So, with that being said, let's let's begin at verse nine. Any any comments, questions? Okay. So as for yourselves, beware, for they will hand you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings because of me, as a testimony to them and the good news, must first be proclaimed to all nations when they bring you to trial and hand you over. Do not worry beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given you at that time, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit." brother will betray brother to death and a father, his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the desolating sacrilege set up where it ought not to be. And then notice mine has a parenthesis here. Let the reader understand. Is that what yours has in Greek?
1: It doesn't have the reader understand. When you see the abomination of this desolation, having stood there where it ought not, the one reading, take note from then the ones in Judea, let them flee to the mountains. That's it.
0: Okay. Uh, So flee to the mountains. The one on the housetop must not go down or enter the house to take anything away. The one in the field must not turn back to get a coat. Woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing. Infants, in those days, pray that it may not be in winter, for in those days there will be suffering, such as not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now. No, and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would be saved, but for the sake of the elect, whom he chose, he has cut short those days, and if anyone says to you at that time, look, here is the Messiah, or look, there he is. Do not believe it. False messiahs and false prophets will appear and produce signs and omens to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be alert. I've already told you of everything. So I'm just going to pause right down right there. That desolating sacrilege is directly quoted from Daniel, the book of Daniel. Uh, The uh, the desecration is the desecration of the. Seleucid temple uh, by Antiochus IV of Epiphanies Epiphanes in 167 BCE. Um why did that matter? Well they put a uh, he put a, a, a statue inside of the temple of um, and I'm losing of the emperor or hey, it was the emperor put the uh, put his statue inside the temple and threatened them then um to get uh, that he would te- tear it down. Um but the the part about immediate flight has has, has always struggled with uh scholars because <clears throat> some scholars will say this is that day that the temple was being destroyed. It wasn't a day, like it was it was, you know, it took several days. But at that time frame, they were scattered to the hills. Like it was grab your stuff, get out of here. As soon as they knew that this was happening and the switch flipped, they they knew they had to get out. Um and and it was graphic i mean it was super scary and um i mean you, you you can just you can just imagine how this was going um i've even heard and and this is probably going off in a rabbit trails but you know the interesting thing about uh the temple being destroyed is, is that's about the same time as Pompeii, uh the Mount Vesuvius exploding. Um, and th- just the graphic images of what took place at Pompeii we we have you can see like as they keep doing archaeological digs, it's perfectly preserved, and it's it's crazy to think this has been preserved for you know almost <laughs> two millennia. And so you you start to see some of the propaganda that was written at the time. Uh, it was it was pretty amazing., um, the sewers in Pompeii which you would think uh, would have been covered in lava, actually have papers and stuff, and they have bread that was literally in the oven that just kind of carbonized itself. It's it's amazing. And I'm making a big deal out of it, but I have heard the conversation that the destruction of Vesuvius was alluded to almost at the same level of what took place in the temple. To the people of Judea. Like, so there's this idea of this destruction and everybody's running away and there's nowhere for you to hide. It's just, you gotta go. You gotta get out of here. Um, and there's a lot of conversation about that, but not not a lot of uh, academics really want to go down that rabbit trail. But you could start to see, I think you could see, that this isn't just about the end of times, if you put it in perspective, in context of the first century, this is talking specifically about um, the destruction of the temple. Um, Questions? Comments? It's
1: really weird. Something just popped up the other day. You know how things just pop up. Of course, if you want to see it, you can't find it. But Something that they had just discovered over there, and now I'm like, "Where is that?" But I yeah. can't find it. So <laughs> I
0: understand. I do that a lot with. Uh, I, I'm I'm fascinated with the Pompeii archaeological dig. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny too because you think, "Oh, it's going to be humongous," and it's like the size of this room, <laughs> you know. And it's like that corner that they've unearthed, and <laughs> yeah, they've unearthed something over
1: there, it's like It's fun um...
0: I I, I understand. Uh, So this next part here in verse 24 through uh, and 25 and 26 is an allusion to the gospel of Mark calls Jesus the son of man. This is a direct correlation to say that he is like or bigger than Caesar or the the emperor of the time. Um because Julius called himself the son of man. Uh, his father uh referred to him himself as the the son of the gods. Mm-hmm. Um the, the, there's this uh there's this conversation of of Rome and the and the gospel writer here is uh, is making sure that you understand that this is our Son of Man and um, is for us, not like Caesar that we serve at the fear of death. Um, and so at this time he's he's gonna he's gonna die, has to die um, in order for this to happen, and then you will see him again. And and this image is going to be interesting. So here we go. Um, But in those days after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. (coughs) And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be, (coughs) excuse me, will be shaken. And then they will see the son of man coming in clouds with great power and glory And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Um, I mean, this is like Isaiah and Ezekiel and Joel. And there's another book in the Apocrypha called Estrus. Uh, Revelation, obviously. Um, This is kind of a conversation about did Mark know about the book of Revelation? A lot of scholars want to put that together that Maybe Martin knew about this apocalyptic literature, which is why I spent so much time talking about it at the beginning, because it was a style of writing that was on both ends of the spectrum. Um, so, here's if you were to make that case, this is one of those mm-hmm. places. And if I was in graduate school again and I was writing exegesis papers, maybe I would take that passage of scripture and 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 try to make the case was Revelation written prior or after? So it'd be an historical exegesis. And um,
1: I thought Revelation was written somewhere between ninety and a hundred.
0: Yeah, and that has been contested, and just f- fairly recently. Probably nobody knows that. Well, yeah, but, and the only reason that they're saying it is this: the style of writing. Because now we've the Dead Sea Scrolls have messed up everything, <laughs> in, in in a good way. Um the styles because we know that it was written at this we can because we carbon dated the paper, right? Mm-hmm. And we can say, well, it was written in this time frame. All of a sudden it changed the dialogue. Well, if this was written then and it's almost like verbatim to these, mm-hmm. uh, when was this actually written then? So um it's so it that's why I'm saying that, yeah. So it's also like the book of Acts. The book of Acts we were always taught was written what, ninety, hundred?
1: I don't know, it was only the Gospels I've heard argued about what time they were written, and and, not, the, not Acts.
0: Well, at Luke and Acts now, in the last 20 years, have been argued that they were written in the second century. Okay. Which is really, sh- late. It really late. And then John was written even after that.
1: Because they did the, the first canon? hmm I thought that was 200 and something.
0: 343 by Eusebius.
1: Okay. Well, then they'd have to hurry if they got it then in the 2nd century to be ready to do that.
0: That's right. So if if it was, you know, that's the that's the thing and and we've slowly been able to start finding some of these documents, so 343 Eusebius puts the first canon together and it also included the Gospel of Thomas. Mm-hmm. Um And then in about 356, Anastasius puts another canon together. So, you know, you have the Council of uh, 312, Constantine says Christianity, blah, 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 blah. 325, you have the Council of Nicaea. By the time you get to 343, he says, we need to take all the collections that we've got here and make a uniformed understanding. They didn't agree on it. Yeah. So 343, they didn't agree. Yeah. Uh, Anastasius didn't agree. Uh, and then 360 something. <clears throat> we had a, a collection, of the canon that we used for uh, quite a long time. Um, but then you, then you get the, the Vaticanist. No, there is a codex. Well, the Septuagint's put together in that time frame, you know. I
1: thought the Septuagint was done before. The, the
0: Septuagint's done before. No, I'm sorry. You take the Septuagint and then you add it to the new codex okay. that's in, uh, I think, the 500s. This is where I get sketchy because yeah, from that. that point on, they they changed it a billion times. <laughs> uh, maybe not a billion, maybe more like <laughs> five or six, but, but five or six times between that. and And then at one point they even did it all in Latin, you know, like that was, mm. this is how it's going to be. That's the language of God. And then the Council of Trent says... Uh, it's either 1429 or something said, this is it. If you don't like it too bad, get out of here. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that worked for a while. And then Martin Luther said, yeah, this is it, but it's gotta be written in this language. And, and why does that matter? Well, because in this case, uh, one could make the argument historically that Mark being the first gospel that we know was written was so close to the timeframe of the book of Revelation because it's still in contest right now. There, It's being contested as in the history of the date. Um, this would be one of those moments I could say, yes or no. <laughs> and I would have to go back to looking at Dead Sea Scrolls, and I'd have to go back and look at this stuff and say, here's my proof to prove that I'm wrong.
1: <laughs> I tend to
0: believe that book of Revelation was written after the Gospel of Mark. I have, a, I have a professor friend of mine that's like, no, it was written at the same time as Paul. And I'm like, okay. And, and if you guys I have the PhD so. and I, I, I appreciate you, but I, I mean, the data does not support that. And yeah. uh, so uh, the, so why does that matter? Well, if you go to verse 28, the fig tree, like we've talked mm-hmm. about before is always a uh, kind of a, a a metaphor for Israel. Sometimes it's used for uh, just different things, but it's a life-giving thing. It's something that they had. And here he goes. From the fig tree, uh, learn its lesson as soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all of these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Uh, but about that day or hour, this is the most important part. No one knows. Neither the... Is this Angelion? Yeah. Angel, uh, Angelon. Angelon in Angelion. Uh, in heaven. Nor the sun. But only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to be on his watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or at cockcrow or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes. And suddenly, what I say to you, I say to you all. Keep awake.
1: There's no suddenly in there.
0: I know. I've, <laughs> no. It's it's uh it, it, in this one it says suddenly, but it does. I know it doesn't have it in Greek. I, I've I've come. It's,
1: it's in the King, the Revised Standard Version. That's what the little thing is over here on the side.
0: And they added it.
1: You sleep when he comes. Su- oh, when he comes suddenly, there's suddenly up there. Yeah, but not.
0: I just read it that you. way.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is a. You know, if you read chapter 13, you 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 get this kind of imagery.
1: Note it has never been in the standard lessons that I've taught. Well, I take it back.
0: Probably bits and There's pieces. One
1: verse up there and note there. And I looked up abomination and it was. That's what they said, sacrilege. Yeah.
0: Which I him. Here. I get it. I got
1: him. I yeah. got him. I got him.
0: Uh, it's not everybody's favorite passage of scripture to read. Um, most people skip Mark's 13, Mark 13's little apocalypse. Uh, there's, there is a Mm -hmm. ton of stuff written about this academically though. Um, Cause they're
1: the only ones that care. Yeah. They're the
0: only ones that care. (laughs) Um, the, the, uh, I, I had to write a section about the desolating sacrilege and then, uh, And Mark's baptism story I had to write about. Oh, and the Syrophoenician woman. Yeah, she was a part. So Mark Mark has this really interesting apocalyptic language that kind of puts it closer to that genre of apocalyptic writing. He, uh, He does this right before we get to the plot to kill him. So... He tells them about how the building's going to fall apart. They've all looked at it and go, oh, my gosh, look at how awesome these buildings are. What big teeth you have. <laughs> He's like, well, it's all going to fall away and you're all going to die, you know. And he kind of says it that way. And then and then he says, but for those of you that are a part of this new family, this elect, um, keep awake because it, it could happen at any time. Um, imagine what that would be like in the first century, that every single moment was in fear
1: they had to do that with the romans anyway
0: exactly yeah. and and now <clears throat> now they're now they're doing it with the romans and their uh elected <laughs> officials yeah. you know the sanhedrin so now there's because uh what what ultimately happens with jesus his the elected officials end up arresting him mm-hmm. on some trumped up charge and have a mock trial um and and all, all and it, it's a it's a for um, foreshadowing of what's yet to come. <clears throat> Mark does a brilliant job with that. I don't think Matthew and Luke do it uh I think they do a great job of foreshadowing. I don't I don't think they do it in such a way that says here's what's happening because Mark Matthew and Luke have this thing where they want to blame people and name them <laughs> right like the Pharisees are the bad guys and here's why or here's the Sadducees and they're the bad guys or here's the scribes and they're the bad guys notice that Mark doesn't remember I said remember pay attention to the a- actors in the story and who the audience is he doesn't name them this is just common life here you got to be careful of who's who's in charge um because at any moment, Uh, That's going to happen. Now, I've heard 32 through 36 preached as uh, the conversation about um, the end of time as a moment to feel comfort like the end of time is tomorrow, or what's his face has predicted the end of the world tomorrow. And then the flip side is, is the other ministers are like, well, we're never going to know when that happens anyway. So why are you spending your time on that? <laughs> and I mean, I, I'm that guy. I uh, Here's Mark chapter 30, no, 13, verse 32 saying, we're never going to know the time. I mean, the angels in heaven don't even know. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> My problem with this whole passage um, as an academic is the angels, the heaven, and the earth conversation. Um, That's a a really, really hard theological process that they have thought out. And I don't know if Mark would have done that very often. Mark does pretty deep theology, but heaven was not a Jewish idea. Um, When you died, you died. Your body went into shul, um, and you were not made into something different. Your your breath just was over, because for Jewish the Jewish world was, I've been given this ruach, I'm supposed to live it, and that's it. You know, I I, I can do better because I have breath. That's what I'm supposed to do. The Christians, on the other hand are competing with that idea and the Roman idea. The gods, plural, live in, you know, Mm -hmm. up in the heavens, up in the heavens, Uh, up in Olympus. Um,
1: I don't know about the Roman ones. ones. I think
0: that was, and I just totally slipped my brain. It was (laughs) right there and it's gone now, (laughs) but wherever Jupiter is, (laughs) you know, and, I say heavens because it makes it easy. Uh, Because they look up in the sky and that's where they are. So now, these Christians, the audience, are saying, but God, uh, our God, obviously lives up in the, the heavens and supersedes all the rest of those. And God obviously has angels because we hear about them from our Jewish friends. And We're Jewish, so we know that there's angels. So it only makes sense that the celestial beings and stuff are up there in the heavens with God. That's a really, that's a hard, I mean, you, I mean, I just want you to put this together. That's, if we, if we believe that this is written in between 70 and 80, right? Just my professor said 65 to 75. So if we just say that, and we say that Jesus died at 33, (laughs) That means that in less than 40 years, he has had an entire culture that has believed for thousands of years in one way. Now they believe in a heaven. Now they believe in angels. Mm -hmm. And now they believe in a a soul. Because, I mean, that's really what's taking place here. That's in 40 years. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> but you know we we've seen it in our own culture, you know, in the United States, even. it's it took us almost two hundred years to realize, you know, maybe the civil rights movement is something that's kind of important. You know, maybe maybe we should treat other humans beings like human beings. <laughs> we didn't figure it out. I mean, we're we're still messing around with it, but we we try. And we keep trying, right? You know, so it's it's not unforeseen. It's eventually we say, okay, enough is enough." And then it's a fast shift. Mm-hmm. But this shift theologically is a massive shift mm-hmm. is is my whole point here. Mm-hmm. Um, and this idea of staying awake, um, they're already familiar with they they already know that at any moment, they're just, they're literally just waiting for the moment. Rome says, okay, we're done with you. You guys can leave now. We like your Jerusalem. We're going to take it. But, but Rome was smart. They're they're not going to kick them out. The only reason, and and I'm not going to get into that whole story, but (laughs) the the only reason they destroyed Jerusalem is, is they needed to make up for the fact that they go all the way to Egypt and there's nothing there for them to take. So, um, and, and, and Nero needed to, to, to cut his losses. And so, so that's that's really what ends up happening. So anyway let's get into the plot to kill Jesus uh that sounded really uh, more dramatic than I wanted to but <laughs> um, uh we're probably gonna get to verse nine today um just just because but so it was two days before the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread the chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to arrest Jesus. By stealth and kill him. Uh, for they said not during the festival or there may be a riot among the people. Um, so while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he as he sat at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment of nard. And she broke open the jar and poured the ointment on his head. and. But some were there who said to one another in anger, Why was the ointment wasted in this way? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii, um, and the money given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? For she has performed a good service for me. For you you always have the poor with you, and you can show kindness to them whenever you wish. But you will not always have me. She has done for what she has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. I love. Re, remember the ending. They run away and hide. Mm-hmm. There's not preparation. Do, do you see the the anxiety? Right, like there's never a, a moment's rest. So she's preparing before its burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed, in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. Um, so now he's he's he has full-blown said, Here I am. I am I am this I am I am Jesus. I am the Son of Man. Um this this uh this whole thing all the way through 16 verse 8, this is 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 acknowledgement um i was trying to see if there was anything in the commentary that i actually wanted to comment on but really nope not really um so just kind of talking about that is that how you remembered that story Yes. Okay.
1: Yeah. I remember them getting upset because of the perfume and their concern was just for the poor. And that Jesus was just saying, they're always here. (laughs) Always (laughs) here. What? Uh Makes you really think. And then just the timing. Like you said, nothing was done when he was being crucified. No one stood up for him, and yet she did her per, she did, and that was expensive. That's mm-hmm. not. Uh, Do one of the Gospels name Judas Iscariot as the one who was upset about the money?
0: Uh, yes. Um, is it Luke? I don't
1: know.
0: I think it's Luke. I think somebody does. Oh, wait. Names, names. It says, well, actually, all three mm-hmm. of the other Gospels give him a name. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Matthew uh, twenty six, Luke twenty two, and John eleven all yes. name Judas Iscariot, and Mark does not. So, just a side a, a side nerd bit. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you do you remember? Because it would have been about the time that you were uh, in Christian education. We started talking about Q, the Q source of the Bible. I've
1: I've heard that said, but I wasn't dealing with. The Bible, it, yeah. In in those years, we were just dealing with the material that was there. But then, when I got into into teaching adults, then it talks about the Q source in the in the commentaries all the time.
0: So, this is a big deal, like that part that we just caught here, mm-hmm. the Judas Iscariot thing. Um, I'm going to go historical Jesus for just a second because this was this started. I mean, I think it didn't, I don't think it started at Phillips at that point, but it kind of did. In the 50s, there were some brilliant professors there, and then it just continued on. And then uh, across the country, scholars started having this discussion of, can we really figure out the red letter version of the Bible? And in that conversation, this this is why I always get messed up with the NIV and the NRSV, like People used to teach us, like that one day, I I completely said it wrong when the NIV was inspired from the King James, and you're like, no, no, that's not true at all. (laughs) Uh, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, no. What happened is, from the 50s through the 70s, there was this train of thought on the historical Jesus to figure out the red-letter version of the Bible. The NIV and the NRSV were not a part of that discussion. Um, You know, they have their own translation processes, but they went to directly from the Greek, uh, and and they went from there. Uh, NRSV was trying to do Hebrew and Greek, and if I'm right, I think the NIV did as well, uh, but the, the idea of the Q source is this. It's the first eyewitness account and then everything else that's written after that are the subsequent books like the gospels so the closer you get to that moment the more accurate the story is going to be and there are stories so you've got these three gospels that are obviously copied um you know so mark being the earlier book uh we tend to think that anything that matthew has to say is tied from the gospel of mark and any subsequent stories that are kind of like Matthew and Mark probably came from Mark but more than likely because Matthew and Luke are written in two ge- geographic different areas came from the original source which they call the Q the quell and this Q source um has a lot of stuff in there that didn't need names like Judas Iscariot the story I, I was the other thing I was going to point out on this mm-hmm. is the other, this is also the Mary Magdalene story in the other Gospels, but she doesn't use just perfume. She, she uses her tears. tears and she uses her hair, you know, so like this, the Gospels change it. So, um, so when you see that, that's a geographical difference. And in this place, the other Gospels have it, but Mark doesn't. So this shows, this was an earlier version of the text. And then Matthew, Luke and John were obviously later because they liked this story. So they, they put it in there. Um, and it was important to them because you gotta, you gotta have that. Sorry. I had to have a nerd moment for just a second. Um, because this, this is kind of a, this is kind of a big deal. What, what do we do with this anointing? Who gets anointed in the Bible? Kings. Kings mm-hmm. and priests. And it's one we always forget.
1: Prophets weren't, were they? Yeah. Prophets were?
0: Yeah, it's a weird anointing.
1: Prophets. prophets.
0: Priests, prophets, and kings. Prophets sometimes anoint themselves. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's probably why I get
1: Samuel anointed everybody.
0: Samuel anoints everybody really a long time. He did. Um, but prophets have to be the one that anointed people, yeah. and then later on, priests mm-hmm. anoint people. It's fascinating because anointing always was used in healing rituals, in burial rituals, in marriage with rituals. It was used in uh I'm trying to think of what another one cleansing rituals. You're anointed with oil, so you were cleansed after your burnt offerings, and you came out, you were anointed with oil and given a white robe until you were able to dry, and you had a moment of purification, and then you put your clothes back on and you went back to work, you know. Um, it was weird. Um, so there's and there's anointing on all the sacrifices, you know, like there's there's this weird. Uh, anointing thing that takes place here but it shows the anointing also signifies not just his burial but his
1: resurrection
0: resurrection. and if he's going to be the son of man he's going to have to be anointed as king Mm -hmm. so the woman becomes a prophet or a priest did you see how that happened the only people that can anoint people yeah. are those that are in leadership. She just anointed him. It's literally what it says, right?
1: Oh, she did.
0: She sat at the table when oh, yeah. came with the alabaster jar and she broke open the jar and poured the ointment in his head. That is an anointing ceremony if I ever heard one.
1: Alabaster is one of the words that come to us from Greek because it's alabas, alabastron, mm-hmm. alabaster. Whereas everything else is weird words.
0: Yeah, when one spike nard or.
1: Um. I just saw that word. Where'd it go? Oh. Mysticase. case. Is that pure? Uh-huh. Vardu, the two words for pure and nard are Vardu, piece case. and I don't know which is which, because I have to look them up to see which is pure and which is nard, because they just put them right there, and they, they do it with everything.
0: I feel like piece case is the pure.
1: Okay, that's probably it, because it's usually backward.
0: So, having this
1: Nardu, oh, well, that would be nard, that's the words.
0: Nard. no Nardu. <laughs> Nardu. You and I both are going, Yeah, Nardu. Yeah, that's it. It's pistachios. It's got to be Nardu. pure. I'm having this conversation in my head with a professor. and kept going, pista <laughs> case, A pist- uh, a pist- capo. And you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I think we're going to stop there because I want to stop there before we get into the Judas uh, agrees to betray G- Jesus. His story is much different than Matthew's. And so... um We're going to stop there and um, pick up
1: next week in the same place.